This message comes from NPR sponsor Wix eCommerce, the professional platform that enables entrepreneurs all over the world to create and run their online store and grow their e-commerce business. If you want to sell online, make sure you stand out. Go to Wix eCommerce and create an online store that will grab shoppers' attention. Build a state-of-the-art storefront, showcase your product with striking product pages, and sell subscriptions. Go global and display prices in local currencies. Boost your sales by offering instant coupons using the live chat. Streamline your checkout process with automated shipping fees and sales tax calculation. Manage your inventory and track your sales from one convenient dashboard. Analyze your comprehensive sales and traffic reports. Check out these and more must-have e-commerce features for sellers who mean business. Go to wix.com slash e-commerce today and join over 700,000 active stores selling worldwide with Wix e-commerce. This podcast is brought to you by Trend. Trend is a micro-influencer marketing platform that helps connect brands with influencers. Learn more, join our network, or start an influencer campaign at trend.io. Welcome back to the DTC pod, everybody. I'm your host, Jay. And today we have an awesome guest with us, Eli Weiss, who is the director of customer experience at Olipop, a deliciously refreshing tonic that is crafted with prebiotics, botanicals, and natural plant fiber to support your microbiome and benefit digestive health. Eli, we're super excited to have you on the podcast over here. I know that was a mouthful about the brand, but I'm sure you're going to explain a little bit more in detail uh, what Olipop does, but excited to have you here on the podcast. I know we're going to be chatting a lot about customer experience and customer journey and those great things. I know for those that are listening that aren't familiar with Eli, he is pretty active on Twitter, always sharing some uh, great insights on customer experience. So super excited to have you on the podcast over here. But before we dive into all the fun stuff we have planned, I'll go ahead and pass the mic over to you, Eli, if you want to give a quick little intro about yourself and tell us a little bit more about what Olipop does in your own words. Thank you, Jay. I'm thrilled to be here. A little bit about myself and a little bit about Olipop. Like Jay said, I'm Eli Weiss, and I've spent the last couple of years in my career as a generalist at a a bunch of early stage startups, most recently at Nugs in New York and currently at Olipop and kind of obsessing over customer experience and retention. A little bit about Olipop. Olipop is like the soda 2.0, the grown-up soda, kind of the nostalgic flavors you grew up with. Instead of 39 to 45 grams of sugar, it's 2 to 5 grams of sugar. And like Jay mentioned, it has plant fiber and botanicals to benefit your digestive health. So 9 grams of plant fiber in every can. And a bunch of fun stuff that you generally won't see in beverage, like slippery elm bark and marshmallow root and kudzu root and cassava and, and some other fun stuff. So... Awesome. Well, I'm sure we're going to be talking about Olipop a little bit more, but we're also going to be talking about customer experience. And before we kind of dive in over there, I'd love if you can kind of give a little bit of a an understanding or a definition about customer experience. You know, there's a lot of parts in it, brand, marketing, product, the customer journey. What do you kind of think fits in customer experience or all touch points kind of impacting customer experience? Kind of give us your definition over there. Yeah, I think that's a great question because customer experience has historically been customer support, which meant the person in the corner of the office that's answering the angry emails. What I think customer experience is, is, is a much broader view on the entire customer journey from start to finish and being better 
than expected, or at least as expected on every single part. So getting into the nitty gritty, it means consistently putting the customer first throughout the entire journey, whether it's on the ad they see, the site experience, your shipping and delivery, your customer support if something goes haywire, returns if that's applicable, just consistently kind of thinking, is this the best experience we can provide for the customer? Is this what they expected? And what we see pretty often is, you know, customers will purchase something from a Facebook ad and get the product and be like, wow, this is terrible. And it's not that the product is terrible. It's more that it was pitched as something entirely different. So they didn't even get what they purchased. So that's kind of the the broader customer experience, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. And that's a great point that you bring up, especially on the product piece. The product can be great, but you know, if the journey to receive the product doesn't really meet the expectations or something's a little bit off, I know it can make a big difference over there. One of the things that you've talked about a lot on Twitter, especially recently, is SMS and having a solid SMS experience. I think we've probably all seen a brand at least once or twice, the the e-commerce brand that's like, give us your phone number to text you. And they text you like a million times and have no respect over the phone number. And then there's brands that do it right as well. So they're respectful. The messages are very related to kind of what you signed up for and all of that stuff. How do you kind of think about the SMS experience and how should brands really approach this to make sure they're providing a good experience over text? Yeah, I mean, over the last few months, it feels like it's kind of my calling to, to ring the bell on on marketers slowly ruining SMS as a channel. <laughs> it feels like SMS is like any new channel that, you know, we get in and, and we're all careful with it. But then as we're kind of slowly getting used to it, we just go crazy with it. And I think your last point was the most important is how do we properly give customers what they signed up for on this channel? So for example, you know, I think people that sign up for SMS, very often it's pitched as like, sign up for a 10% off discount. And you sign up and you get the 10% off discount. And then you're like, okay, what happens next? I don't even know what to expect. And then over the next two weeks, you got 77 texts and you're like, I don't even know what this is and I'm out. So I think it starts off, it starts off pretty early. It's like, what are you pitching this channel as? And then how do we consistently deliver that? Or like I said, with customer experience, like how do we deliver or over deliver on what it was pitched as? Now, my problem with SMS is that just about every D2C startup pitches SMS as this like super exclusive channel, right? And you think about SMS as, as, you know, the medium, it's not, you know, most people don't get SMS messages from a lot of people. Like I know myself, I get texts from a very, very small handful of people. Um, and one of them is my mom, right? Like if I'm signing up for a brand to get their SMS messages, what am I doing? And usually it's because you feel a very, very deep connection. I know at Olipop, people feel incredibly close to the brand that they'd want to sign up for messages. And then it only takes one message for people to just be like, this is obscene, right? So for us, it's like we, we're really, really thinking about how can we be incredibly intentional? And, and the question we always ask is, was this something that a customer signed up for? That's A. And B is like, does this have to be a text? Could this be an email? Could this be an Instagram post? And then when we do pull the trigger, you know, like we offer exclusive first dibs on flavor launch. So if we launch a new flavor, it goes to our SMS customers first. And what, you know, on, on our last launch, we did, I think it was like $30,000 within the first 30 minutes just on SMS, which is insane. But it's kind of like we pitch this as an exclusive as an exclusive medium. And when people get that message, they're like, wow, this feels awesome. And they hop right in. So it's an intimate channel. Constantly ask yourself, should this be sent as an SMS? Use this platform as a way to two-way communicate, not just spam people. It's not a billboard, it's a conversation. 
and uh, continue delivering what you promised to deliver. And don't get too excited about the fact that you're in people's pockets. Yeah, and that's a great point that you bring up about how many people are actually texting you outside of brands. You know, I'd probably say it's the same. It's a handful. And thinking about SMS marketing, SMS experience, all that stuff isn't really like, it's a little new, but it's not relatively new anymore. I feel like I've probably been receiving texts from brands for maybe the past like three, four, maybe five years at this point from some brands. And with that said, you know, there have been a lot of brands that may have not been as careful the first time around. So for those brands that are out there that maybe they didn't hit SMS marketing and have that great experience the first time and uh, maybe potentially lost those people, you know, I think one thing that people don't talk about a lot is reacquiring those people and bringing them back into that channel. I'd be curious to kind of get your thoughts on whether you think that's even possible. How can brands maybe do that and win back some of those people that did sign up originally and maybe have kind of turned in that sense? Yeah, I think it kind of goes back to the metrics you're tracking. Like I think very often brands see the metric to track on SMS as being sales, right? And it's like they try multiple messages and see that the message that has the discount code does 10 times more sales than the one that doesn't. And maybe that's not the metric to track, right? That's A. Like maybe you shouldn't be tracking sales on this channel. Maybe this is not a sales channel. And that's number one. So it's like, go back to your roots, understand what this channel feels like to you, drop the need to constantly hit a certain sales threshold, shift the sales push to email. Okay, now (laughs) use email as a sales channel and think if I didn't have to make a dime on this channel, what would I send? What would customers be interested in? They're getting the discount code on email. They're getting the sales on email. If I were to chat with a customer person to person on my cell phone, what would I want to tell them? And for us, it goes back to like kind of the same couple of ideas. Like we want them to feel like they're on an Olipop group chat. Like we want them to feel like they're kind of part of us and they're part of this club. And it's like thinking that way or like, okay, what makes somebody smile? Like what makes somebody get a text and be like, wow, this was awesome. And not like, screw this, I want to throw my phone at a wall. That's kind of, you know, and and just continuously iterate, like try new things, see what works. And eventually you'll find something that resonates with customers. Like we found that some of our texts that resonated most were the ones that were just a team member, just sending a sweet message on a long week. It's like at the end of a long week, hey, I know this week has been chaotic. Like, hope you've been well. Like I'm about to crack open an orange squeeze and enjoy some time off what's going on with you? And you see like hundreds of people respond to that. So it's just bringing back the humanity into this medium and and treating it like a channel that feels personal and not just a a channel to sling discount codes. Yeah. And that's a great thing you mentioned at the end too. The way of kind of thinking about it is it's not like just one way communication, text message marketing shouldn't be like, hey, I texted you something and then you're going to just click the link and that's the end of it. Like having that, that two way conversation where people are responding, which I think is really awesome. Let's talk a little bit too. I know we talked a little bit about SMS over here. One other big part of uh, customer experience and kind of why a really good customer experience is necessary is driving repeat purchases. Obviously, you want to have strong retention and doing those kinds of things. One of the things that's become really fast growing for a lot of direct-to-consumer brands, especially um, e-commerce and and even potentially brands that are everywhere, even in retail as well, is subscription-based businesses. And I know... Olipop absolutely crushes this. I mean, I was looking through your your LinkedIn um, profile and I saw like a couple of posts where, you know, you were like, we went from a thousand, less than a thousand subscribers to like 2000 subscribers. And then you shared another one pretty re- 
even faster where you went from like 2000 subscribers to over 5000 subscribers. And I'm sure it's even higher now talking about your expertise and customer experience there and everything you've kind of like learned over there. What do you attribute to that fast growing success? And what are some of the biggest learnings that you've had from Olipop's success on subscription? Yeah, it's something I think about often. And I had a conversation with Val Geisler from Clavio a couple of weeks back. And something she said resonated with me. You know, she said that historically subscriptions have never been good for customers. They've been good for brands. And that's like kind of the thought that we were thinking when we were thinking about subscription at Olipop is like, we hate old school subscriptions. Like I've never met anyone that loved being tied into a three-year contract with Verizon. Like nobody likes being tied to Comcast, right? So it's like, what was it about those old school subscriptions that we hated? That's number one. And the team and I kind of wrote down on paper, like we hated the fact that you're locked into it. We hated the fact that you have no idea when your subscription is over starting or whatever it is. Like you have no idea what's going on. And that's kind of like, so the questions we asked was like, A, is this something that people should subscribe to? Like, you know, you're in a world where everything is a subscription. So it's like, is this a product that should be subscribed to? And that's as easy as looking at the data. It's like, is this something that people purchase often enough on a pattern? And then number two is like, to what I said earlier, can we make this not just good for us, but also good for the customer? So it's like, how do we remove all the friction? So on one end, it's like, on one hand, it's thinking of like, you know, we send you a text before your order ships out to let you know, hey, you can cancel it. Hey, you can swap flavors. We push customers to swap flavors. They don't get bored of their flavor, right? That's number two is like, push people for the flexibility because we'd rather have them find their forever flavor and be here for years than lock them into the first one. And then number three is like, it gets expensive. So can we offer our most competitive discount and free shipping on every subscription order to make it just super easy and simple? And then the third thing we kept thinking about is customers are giving us that monthly recurring revenue. They're giving us that gold. What are we giving them? And that's a conversation that I think most people aren't thinking about or having is like, what kind of perks and benefits can we give them? That doesn't mean like, oh, let's start a Facebook group and toss them in there because they'll probably like that. It means asking customers, what is something that's impactful for you to have if you're signed up for a subscription? For us, it was like, you know, putting, you know, these fun, cool, exclusive stickers in every subscription order, giving these people first dibs at a new flavor. And it's still evolving. Like we still constantly ask customers, like, what is something that you that you'd love? And we survey them to figure out how to consistently make this better and better. Yeah, that's really awesome over there. And, you know, talking about some of those learnings that you had as Olipop was working on the subscription model over there. Are there any other like brands that you look to or even like Maybe it's even outside of direct-to-consumer and an e-commerce space that you kind of like studied the subscription models there and were like, I think this is a really good example and we should take some of the things from here. I'll be completely honest with you. It's more been the other way. It's more been looking at the brands that I really, really disliked and I thought were very opaque and blurry. And it was like, these are things we really don't want to do. And it feels like we're kind of paving our own way when it comes to what we do want to do. So I, I'd say it's more on that end. <laughs> Nice. That's awesome. Well, that's really great to hear. And I'm sure there's a lot of great lessons over there. Speaking of the subscription success, I mean, Olipop overall has had just a tremendous amount of success. Your team has grown 7x year over year. What are some of the important lessons that you've learned from watching it grow? Because I'm sure it's not just all on the customer acquisition train. I'm sure a lot of it is also too. And we talked about some of that subscription stuff, but just getting customers to rebuy and repurchase. So I'd be, 
I'd love if you could share some of the lessons that you've kind of learned from that. Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. And I've honestly been humbled to be part of this insane growth over the last year. I think I'd say that there's been so much learning. I think the first thing we've learned is that there's a really, really tight flywheel between the marketing we do on e-commerce and what happens in retail, right? Like when we launch in new stores, we'll have customers coming in that saw us on Instagram or saw us on ads and buy in retail. And we'll have people buy in retail that are like, oh, I'd love to see if I can get a case of this and buy on e-com. So there's, there's a really tight flywheel between the two which has been interesting. And then the other few things that I think we've learned as we continued this kind of crazy growth is there's always like the view of like, how can we spend more money to run more ads and acquire new customers? But then, you know, everyone's always asking about how do we accelerate kind of like accelerate organic growth? And I think it's interesting, you know, for us, we've learned that on the customer experience side, we've done so many of these fun stuff, like send a bunch of people gifts. Like a couple months ago, we sent a bunch of people plants and, you know, we're sending a bunch of people dad hats, Olipop dad hats with a nice card this month. And we're consistently thinking of like, how can we create moments? And these moments constantly kind of propel organic growth, right? The more people that have a fantastic over the top experience with our brand, whether or not they love or dislike our product, they still tell people to check us out. And it's just been like interesting to keep focusing on doing good for customers. And it really does matter more than you can imagine as you continue to grow a brand, just being a good person and treating people like humans and delivering experiences with empathy every day is number one. Number two, I think there's like brands that are in our space are consistently building things and then finding out if customers like it instead of leaning in and listening and seeing if there is a want or need for this. And something we look at very often is every single customer request when it comes to a new flavor gets put into a spreadsheet and we actually are launching a new flavor in three weeks. That's our most highly requested flavor. So we really, really listen to customers. There's no use in making something that people don't want. And then the last thing I'd say is like, Customer experience really goes hand in hand with retention. We'll probably talk a little bit more about retention later on, but just keeping customers happy. Like we focused on our core metric on customer experience is our CES score, customer effort scores, like how simple or easy is it for a customer to get a resolution. And we've consistently kept that in the 90s. And by keeping our average response time to under 60 minutes, customers really, really, really love being spoken to quickly and being things being resolved quickly and Knowing you'll be taken care of makes you want to come back. It's not rocket science, obviously, so long as the product is great. And then I guess finally, I'd say really leveraging the data, really learning about your customers and where the customers coming from, where they, you know, do the customers that come from a Google ad stay longer than the customers that come from a Facebook ad. And I don't talk about tools very often because I'm more about the people than the tools. But one of the tools that we found over the last couple of months has been absolutely amazing is a tool called source medium which is a small tool that they you know it's kind of like a data scientist on your team and it's just been for somebody like me that doesn't really understand (laughs) that doesn't really know how to slice and dice data it's like being able to have access to deeply deeply understand and then just consistently it's like okay this is not working as well as that and be able to switch super quickly that's kind of like our couple of learnings over the last year yeah that's awesome and thanks for sharing that Are you interested in DTC and e-commerce content? Join Trend's exclusive community for everything DTC, the DTCers community. We're talking marketing, product, growth, and more, all about DTC. Go to trend.io slash podcast, that's T-R-E-N-D 
bit.io slash podcast and look for the Slack community link to claim your invite. We hope to see you on there. You know, I'd be kind of curious too, and learning through this with hyper growth and that fast moving growth, it can be sometimes tough for a lot of teams to scale the customer experience where, you know, you're, you're really just focused on growth and you're getting so many new orders and everything can kind of be overwhelming sometimes. So for the brands that are growing really, really fast, like what would you suggest to them as they're looking to try and scale that customer experience to where you're still able to give really strong customer experience, but obviously you have a lot more customers than you did yesterday? Yeah, I think it's an amazing question. I think the difficulty with customer experience as a whole is it's not viewed as marketing. It's viewed as a tool that it's viewed as a fire extinguisher. So it's like you only use a fire extinguisher when there's a fire. And I think that's the first mistake, right? It's like if you're spending a million dollars a year on marketing and outsourcing your CX, then you clearly do not view CX as a tool that can actually make you more money. So I think that my first thing is like, there's no use in bringing people into a funnel with the bottom of the funnel cracked off. It's like to bring a bunch of customers in and then when they have an issue, you're not there to talk to them. It's wasting money. As the cost of acquisition keeps going up, it's like bringing people in and not having the ability to keep them happy is it's just silly. So I'd say like it's really, really, really important to invest in it. And then I'd say when it comes to like building a team, it really, really, really matters on the who. Like hiring the really good people that deeply, deeply care. It's like you can teach anyone how to use tools, but you can't teach people to deeply give a shit about someone else. And that I'd say is is honestly the most important thing. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense over there. It's really having that foundation set really well. You know, there are definitely, um, like you mentioned, a lot of parts that go into the customer experience. So for teams that are looking to kind of work and improve on customer experience, what are some of the best things to kind of like, like, how do you figure out like, this is where I need to improve on the customer experience side. Like, what are those questions that teams should be looking to answer on customer experience to really provide a better experience there? Yeah, I kind of use this. It's a really, really simple framework that I use on my own team. It's three questions that I like to consistently ask is, why are customers here? Right? That's number one. Why are they here? Like, what brought them here? What about this that we're selling or offering is exciting? And then number two is, what would make them leave? Like, what are the frustrations that customers have that they say, screw this, I'm going to go elsewhere. And number three is, what can we do that would make them stay with us forever? Right. And then it's like, when you break these three things down, it's like, why are customers here? It's like, it could be the product, it could be the site experience, it can be all those things that we're doing well that are bringing people here. What would make them leave is like, offering a crappy shipping experience, right? If you ship with like, shore post and it takes three weeks to get there and they spent $99 on a luxury t-shirt. That's a good reason to make them leave. And then number three is like, what would make them stay forever? I mean, like I can think of a bunch of stories on our end that things we've done for customers that we just went above and beyond and they're here and they'll be here for a while. And, and that's like consistently asking those questions really puts you in the right space to over deliver every single day with customers. And that's kind of my my goal as we grow, it definitely doesn't get easier, right? Like as you scale, you're thinking like, how can I scale this? Like, okay, we do all this cool stuff. How can I scale it? And that's like, I think that's one of the more difficult questions because the answer is you can't. And that's the beauty of it, right? Like customers feel like 
they feel when you did something that is not scalable. Like when you write a handwritten card, they know you couldn't scale that. And that's why it feels 10 times better, right? So that's like the beauty of deeply caring and just consistently doing crazy fun stuff. Yeah, that that's a great framework that you kind of uh, shared over there. And uh, I know I'm kind of putting you a little bit on the spot as well over here. I wonder, I was going to ask if you had, I know you mentioned some examples of things where, you know, you have gone above and beyond for customers over there and no pressure if you don't have them off the top of your head, but I'd love if you could share like an example or two about that. Yeah, no, I'd be happy to. I think some of these are these like wildly over the top things, right? You know, like somebody had an issue with a delivery for their wedding that was running a little bit late and my team somehow found their wedding registry to purchase something from Olipop from their wedding registry. Those are like the the more wild ones. But then there, I think, you know, the second example I'd give is a more simple one, right? Where a customer reached out that they purchased something for Father's Day and, you know, it was just taking time to get it out of the warehouse because we had an influx of orders and they're like, just checking if this would get here in time. And without any questions, you know, my team went and expedited the shipping to next day delivery. And we most definitely lost money on that order, but we blew away a customer and they'll definitely be here. And it's like, obviously there's creating the experiences, but it's also giving your team the allowance to create these experiences, empowering them to create these experiences, giving them the wherewithal budget-wise to create these experiences. You know, when brands spend a million dollars a month on Facebook ads and and then won't expedite a package, it's like, you're just like, you're just spending money and then it's going right out of the bottom of the bag. So it's like uh, something we really focus on is empowering and putting the money into it. Yeah, that's a great way of thinking about it. You know, I never we've had a lot of people come on here, founders and marketers and even people on customer experience. But I don't think anyone has kind of like suggested yet having a budget basically for your customer experience team to be able to pull off those things. And I'm guessing you do have probably a budget for your team, right, to pull that stuff off. Yeah, I mean, we we talk about this, you know, as the brands that led the way for us, right, like the four seasons where there's a pretty famous book about the four seasons, how like pretty much every single person, whether it's, you know, the front desk or the housekeeping or the food and beverage, like they all have an allowance of, I think it's $500 to make something right. And it's, you know, that's like the framework on our end. It's like, if it's under a few hundred dollars, don't even ask, just go with your gut. And it's, you know, it always depends on where your company is at with their spend and where your company is at with financing and all that other fun stuff. But my framework is depending on where your marketing budget is, just cut out a little a little portion and throw that to CX. And that's usually for me, that's usually a framework to get an idea of how much people should be spending. Just cut out a little bit of the marketing budget and, and push it over. And that usually the moments that we've created in the past, like have blown out of the water in terms of like creating brand awareness and engagement. So it's been good so far. That's awesome. That's really helpful and tactical advice that people can definitely use that are listening over here. Let's talk a little bit about retention. It's a big part of direct-to-consumer growth. It's obviously a lot easier to keep your customers than it is to find new customers. What is your advice for brands that are looking to drive loyalty? Do you have any advice over there, any advice in terms of even like potential strategies to use to keep customers around? Yeah, that's an awesome question. I think that the most most interesting part of retention is that it's historically been under marketing, right? Where it's like marketing spends money to acquire a customer, the customer, you know, is here, and then marketing continues to spend money to keep them here and then spends money to make sure they don't leave. And for some reason, CX as a team has never been actively involved in retention. 
which has obviously been different at Olipop where I've been leading on retention uh, since I joined. So it's been interesting to have CX as part of retention where you are constantly listening. And when a customer is having a tough time, you can get that feedback really, really quickly to the right place and fix it before the customer leaves. And it's obviously easier to keep a customer than to try to pay to win them back. So it's constantly listening and making sure you get the feedback to the right person, the right place, right time. On a more tactical level, I think that making sure you figure out the right amount of communication throughout the customer journey is the most important. So obviously, somebody purchases a product, they never hear from you again, that's not a good thing. Somebody purchases a product, they hear from you 19 times with four survey requests before they even get the product, that's also a terrible thing, right? So it's like figuring out the middle ground there where it's like somebody orders a product, what do they have to know when they get the product? What do they have to know to make sure that their experience with the product is awesome? When is the appropriate time to re-engage? And I think it's a lot of A-B testing. It's a lot of learning, but I think it's like figuring out when the customer is thinking or has a question, can we be there with the answer? If the customer has an issue, can we be there with a solution is kind of the way I think about retention. And again, like, like we spoke about earlier, if the product is good, the experience is good, the shipping and delivery, the support, the potential returns, like if all of that is good, that's what makes people stick around and it's not rocket science. So... Yeah, I loved how you really just outlined it over there at the end, that kind of like simple framework that can be extremely powerful for brand growth as well. You know, the last thing I want to touch on over here as we're kind of coming to the end of the podcast is I'm sure you've had a lot of experience around customer experience scenarios and as a customer experience leader for other customer experience leaders out there or or people that are looking to, to try and improve customer experience. What kind of things can you share from your own personal experience and maybe even some mistakes and things that haven't hit that you can kind of recommend for brands listening out there? Yeah, a few things. I think the first thing I'd say is it was helpful for me to be a newbie in this space and not come in with a ton of education around it. When I came into customer experience, I was at a brand that was having quite a bunch of trouble on delayed production. And it was just like I came in from a, in a really chaotic place. And it was just really, really thinking, if I was a customer, what would I want? What would I be thinking? So I think that's helpful is to not come in with all this, with all this knowledge that you learn from others, because every single brand is different. Every single experience is different. Even within the few brands I've worked with or worked at, I've seen that their customers are differently. Like Nugs attracts a different customer base than Olipop does. And those customers have to be spoken to differently. So it's constantly just like, do not take what you learned last year and use it this year. Constantly learn and listen and engage with customers and spend time. And as high as you are on the poll, hop into the DMs, talk to customers, listen to customers, engage. And then, you know, I think the other thing I'd say is try to get out of the weeds a little bit to be able to think six to 12 months ahead, because as you're in a hyper growth business, it catches up to you really quickly. And then the last thing I'd say is, there were a couple of books that earlier in my career were really powerful for me. And one of them is the Delivering Happiness from Tony Shea at Zappos. And another one is The Effortless Experience. And the last book I'd say that's been extremely powerful for me is The Power of Moments by Chip and Dan Heath. It's also been fascinating to understand what it means to deliver a customer moment and what does it mean to not just fix an issue, but really create an experience around it. Those are kind of the books that really helped me earlier on in my career understand what does it mean to deliver a good customer experience? What does it mean to focus on experience over support? What does it mean to really create and empower a team to do to do awesome things? So those are the couple of things that I've I've learned over the last few years here. Awesome. Thank you for sharing all of that. And that was 
a bunch of awesome knowledge that was definitely dropped right over there. So really appreciate it. The last thing I'll kind of wrap up with over here, and I love asking this question is, what's next for Olipop? And if you can also share kind of where people can learn a little bit more about what you and your team are working on and even potentially purchase products too. Of course. You know, what's next for Olipop? As far as CX, we are going to continue to deliver unscalable experiences as we scale. Like that's something that's non-negotiable. We want to create customer moments throughout. What's next is a broader team. I mean, we've doubled in headcount and we've gone from 500 stores to 6,000 stores and, and grown e-commerce so massively. But we're really, really focused on on authenticity and just being real and kind and empathetic and we're just going to continue creating delicious, healthy soda alternatives that bring people nostalgia and happiness. That's what's next for Olipop. And then you can find Olipop or purchase Olipop at drinkolipop.com, as well as, you know, Whole Foods, Kroger, Sprouts, and so many other stores. We also have a store locator on the website. You can check out to find Olipop near you. And you can find me on, on Twitter. It's at Eli Weiss, E-L-I-W-E-I-S-S-S with a third S at the end. That's all I got. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Eli. This was great. Definitely connect with Eli on Twitter because he is just a wealth of customer experience knowledge. It's been so great having you on the podcast over here to to share everything, how you think about customer experience, even giving examples and all that stuff over there. So really appreciate having you on the podcast. I know I learned a ton from this episode and I'm sure our listeners did as well. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to leave a quick rating and subscribe to the podcast and we'll see you next time on the DTC pod.